thanks for tuning in. I'm off on vacation this week, but I've got a special pre-recorded archive show from way back in January the 8th, 2005. I hope you really like it. So let's join our show from this time seven years ago. Lewis Alpazan with Harvey J. Wilson. Hey, and we are actually live and in person in the studio today, so any automotive questions, comments, or whatever. Well, we are in studio. We are semi-live. Semi-live. Li- We're I, trying to figure out where all these buttons came from. I that's it. I don't that, understand. I got look familiar. <laughs> For all the folks who have never been in a radio studio, it's more or less like sitting at the controls of a 747. Oh, yeah. Except right. you don't know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> buttons everywhere. Well... I, I doubt 747 is. Well, uh, whatever. But uh, yeah, I've been doing this show for, I don't know, going on 14 years now, and I still know what three quarters of these buttons mean. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, a whole lot of them are really not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> to you. To me. That's it. Hey, exactly. Hey, 499 9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Just give us a call. I'm glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You got an automatic transmission problem. Harvey's here and can answer that for you. Of course, Last time we were, or I was live on the air. Harvey wasn't around, so. I was exiting Baton Rouge, but I listened. We got a whole cornucopia of transmission calls that I couldn't answer. Yeah, I did hear that. <laughs> and Muddled on through it, though, somehow. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, all right, yeah. So give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. If nothing else, we'll tell you we don't know. Yeah. Lewis, <laughs> I'm going to leave that to you this week. Hey, scone pa. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If I can go back to my Cajun heritage there, let's go to our phone line. We've got Victor on line. Victor, thanks for holding. Yeah, Lewis, is it you? Yes, me. Okay. I've got an old 2 Escort okay. with the single overhead cam, the uh, two-liter engine. Yes, sir. And the ignition wires, it seems like that if anything on that engine touches one of those ignition wires, mm-hmm. it breaks it down. Hmm. Have you encountered this problem? You know how you might deal with it? Anything on the market to protect them that you could wrap on them? Victor, they've had a lot of trouble with all Ford products for a number of years with the ignition wires. That seems to be a weak point on the Fords, so much so that they've gone to call on plug on most of the newer motors. They've just eliminated the plug wires. When you got that high-energy ignition that they're using now, man, that thing fires anywhere from probably 60 to 100,000 volts, you got a tremendous amount of current. If the plug, for any reason, becomes restricted, it's going to jump through the wire. Electricity is always going to take the path of least resistance. That's true. And if it's rubbing anywhere where it's got a slight chafe in the insulation or anything, it's just going to jump right through it. Ford's had a problem with ignition wires for a number of years. The 4.6s used to have that. Just about every time a 4.6 comes in for a service, we advise changing the wires on it just because they're so problematic. I'm not aware of anything that's a whole lot better than the Motocraft product. When I replaced them, mm-hmm. I used Motocraft products. But the thing is, Lewis, that if that wire touches, Mm-hmm. Anything on that engine. It'll jump through it. It's gone. I know. It, it's a problem. Victor, you might want to check and make sure all the wires are routed properly. And what I mean by that, there's little plastic things that hold them together and hold them up where they don't rub and that kind of stuff. Make sure that all that's on. Some of that could have gotten either left off when they assembled the car or taken off at the dealership before you got it. And that may be part of your problem. The only other thing you can do, Victor, is just make sure you keep the spark plugs real good. I'm not sure if that engine carries a copper plug or a platinum plug. Platinum. I would probably be changing those 
around 40 to 50,000 miles. If that plug gets the least bit bad, and I know they tell you it'll go 100 and all that, but I'd be changing them out a little sooner because the plugs are a lot cheaper than the wires. Oh, yeah. And if it can't fire the plug for any reason, it's going to burn through the wire. And all cars will do that. We get cars in quite frequently with high mileage, say 100,000 on the original plugs, and you can bet your boots you're going to put a set of wires and maybe calls on it when it comes in because it's been generating so much power to try to fire those old plugs that it just burns everything up. Mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of changing out plugs a lot sooner than what the OEM recommends on them. You know, they're cheap by comparison to all the stuff that ends up getting burned oh, up. Oh, yeah, the wires are uh $10 a wire, $40 yeah, they, a set. Yeah, they're pretty high, and those plugs probably ain't too much cheaper than that. Plug's probably 8 bucks a plug, but still, they're a whole lot easier to change, and uh, that's about the only protection you really got. They have so much trouble, most of the cars go to what they call coil-on plug. Yeah, a coil yeah. pack's got a ceramic piece that comes out plugs directly on the plug, and there is no wire. You're directing high, high, high voltage current over a long distance, foot or more. Man, the odds of it jumping through that wire are pretty darn great. Yeah, and once it breaks it down, it's oh, yeah. gone. Yeah, once it goes through there one time, it's, it's left the hole, and the time it gets close to metal, it's going to keep on jumping. Yeah, I was wondering if there was some kind of plastic wrap or something that you could put on to kind of protect them. That yeah, Is there anything like that on the market? Not that, that I'm aware of, Victor. There's a lot of little, like, just generic. You know, they got this stuff that looks kind of like a telephone wire. It's coily, except it's a piece of plastic yeah. that you can put around things in general. Where would you find something? I believe Home Depot sells that stuff in a roll. Well, man, I'm ready to try anything. Yeah, it wouldn't oh, hurt. Yeah, auto parts store sell it, too. Yeah, auto parts store. What you don't want to do is wrap it completely tight like in a piece of rubber tubing because then you can overheat the wire and cause other problems. Yeah, just you want something that can still ventilate. Yeah, it just wraps around there. It's made out of nylon. It's like a continuous piece of nylon that's just wrapped, sort of like a spring on a screen door or something, only a little further apart than that. You can physically coil it around your wire as it's opened, oh, yeah. and that might at least keep them from chafing. All righty. I'm, I'm willing to try anything. <laughs> Good luck, man. <laughs> Take care. Thank uh -huh. you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you ever want firsthand knowledge of how much spark a Ford this one put out, ask Jack Odom. He experienced that. Yeah, buddy. Firsthand. Well, I tell you what, all you got to do is reach down there and grab one of them, try to pull it off, and let it bite you one time. Because mm -hmm. that rascal will jump about an inch to an inch and a half gap. Oh, yeah. We might get out. <laughs> <laughs> we had it precise. <laughs> You're bad. You're all bad. I'm not going to let everybody hear that story because they're going to think a lot worse of you after they hear it. But <laughs> He didn't get any he didn't deserve. All right. Let's go back to the phone. I've got Gary. Good morning, Gary. Good morning. Good morning. That yes, sounds, sounds like the voice of experience. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've got a 99 Buick Alero. Uh -huh. It's got a little four-cylinder in it. Yes, sir. At any rate, we had a little bit of an accident in a few months back, mm -hmm. and we got all the bodywork fixed and everything, and it drives good, but for some reason... We go to crank it once, it won't start. You go to crank it the second time, it starts right up. Yes, sir. That's almost always, Gary, a problem with the fuel pump. It could have gotten damaged in the accident just from the fact of the quick stop and something got jounced, or it could just be that it's going bad. But what happens, a fuel pump has got to maintain a certain amount of pressure on the line to get a a quick start. It does that with a check valve that holds pressure because it's not running naturally when the key's off. So what you want to do is maintain a certain amount of pressure on that line. Now that's very easy to diagnose. All you have to do is hook a fuel pressure gauge to it and run it and you can register your fuel pressure, cut it off, and the fuel pressure just slowly creeps on back down to zero, then you know that's the problem. On some vehicles, they actually sell a reseal kit. I ran across the same thing this week on a Jeep. Had a service bulletin for hard start after sitting. They call that hard start after hot soak. 
which means you've run the card and you cut it off and it sits for a while and it doesn't want to start the first time. And they had a reseal kit where we resealed the pump and it fixed it. Many times the only fix is to replace the pump. Pretty easy to diagnose. Just get someone with a fuel pressure gauge, check it, and make sure that's where it is. See what happens. Every time you turn the key on, it activates the pump for a few seconds. So the first time you crank it, it activates the pump, but it can't get the fuel all the way up to the injectors. You turn it off. When you hit it the second time, it's already got some fuel in line, so it can easily get it on up there the rest of the way. I got you. Now, the only other option you could do if you don't want to change your pump is just turn your key to on. Mm-hmm. turn it off, and then turn it back to on before you start it. And that basically does the same thing because it's going to run that pump for about two to three seconds every time you turn the key on. Well, on, on the flip side, it seems like it only happens whenever she gets new gas in it. So would that have something to do with taking the gas cap off and releasing pressure from the... Yeah, Gary, I'm sorry. I don't think so. You know, The tank doesn't hold pressure. It's got an evac system that sucks the pressure out of the tank. But you know, it could be that it's like... The wiring horns or something is chafed a little bit, and what's happening is when you're moving the cap, maybe you're shaking something or moving something. It's a long shot. The only thing you could try, again, you're going to have to have a fuel pressure gauge on it when it's doing it to make sure that it is fuel pressure because there is a couple of other options, other things it could be. Mm-hmm. But it just sure sounds classic like a fuel pressure problem with pressure leaking down. Now, okay. again, if the car has been wrecked and fixed, man, and please believe I'm not trying to slam body shops, but. They are notorious about leaving off wires and leaving ground wires loose and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It's possible it could be something to do with that, you know, where the circuit is just not energizing. For instance, the ground wire that goes to the fuel pump relay may be loose. And turn it on, it doesn't energize the first time, second time it does. Just one of those deals, you can almost have to have it in the shop with a fuel pressure gauge on it and see exactly what's occurring. There are even certain computer malfunctions that can cause that what they call the PCM or the power control module has to ground the fuel prop relay before it runs. Ideally, when it sees ignition requests, it's going to ground the relay for, like I said, two to three seconds to give you a boost of fuel. Then when you go to start, once it starts, it's going to give it power. You could have a problem with the computer itself. You could have a problem even in the ignition switch where it's not seeing ignition cycle or any of the wiring in between. So when it's been wrecked and somebody's been fooling with it, that kind of throws a whole nother set of possibilities in there the only thing i can suggest to you get it to the shop but you might want to be prepared to leave it for a day or two because right. it's not something they'll be able to go right to i'm sure but the way you do that you'd have a scan tool attached where you're reading the fuel pump command coming out of the computer you got a fuel pressure gauge attached you cycle the ignition and see what's happening now if you got command to the pump there's your commanding the pump on mm-hmm. and you got no fuel pressure well, then you got to go and see if it's being grounded properly and blah, 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 blah. Now, one little thing you might just want to try yourself, Gary. It's kind of a long shot, but it's worth a try. Mm-hmm. Go under the hood to the fuse center. You, you know where the fuse and relay center is? I can find it. Yeah, it's in your manual. There's going to be a series of little relays in there. One will be for, like, the, the fuel pump. One will be for maybe the power windows. One will be for the air conditioner. There's a pile of them. Just take any one of them because they're all the same. Unplug it, take the fuel pump relay, and switch them and see if your problem goes away and see if your problem goes to the other circuit. For instance, if your air conditioner starts working intermittently, then you know you got a bad relay. Okay. And, and that's kind of a long shot, but it's one thing you could do yourself to isolate that much of a problem. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised, but that maybe you got a ground wire that's been left loose or taken off and it's not making ground. You're just going to have to have it to a shop where they've got some instrumentation to check that. All right, Lewis, listen, I really appreciate hey, your time. Hey, thank morning. you, Gary. What else is going on, Harvey? That's about it. Oh, man, got more than that going on, I know. No. <laughs> no. No. Oh, I got something coming up, but it's not exactly ready, ready for an announcement. Huh. Darn.
Sounds kind of secret. But we haven't tried before. All right. Well, we haven't tried it with the general public. Let me there you go. That's, that's exactly right. And you're We've not done gonna, plenty of them, just not for the general public. And you're not going to give us any kind of a little inkling that's of... It. You got you got your inkling. That's called a teaser. You got your ink and your inkling right there. That's called a teaser, more or less. Okay. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got Chuck on line. Good morning, Chuck. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. I have a 2002 2500 GMC. Uh-huh. And it's a real simple problem, and I can't figure out whether it's a light bulb or wires. Uh, I have, have you ever heard of the gear shift indicator? It's an electronic. Uh-huh. The gear shift indicator and this odometer is electronic. Right. It's not like a gauge. Right, let's talk about it. Go, it's on for a while, then it's off. Okay, well, that's an LED, Chuck, so it's not going to be a light bulb. It's got an LED built in this one little circuit board, and the life expectancy on that thing is about... Well, I don't know, what, 50,000 hours or something? So the odds yeah. of that being burned out are pretty doggone slim. Harvey, do you know specifically problems that they have with that? We oh. have not seen any of those problems. Okay. Uh, but that's going to be probably something like a module or a connection problem. Or yeah, something maybe the one. MLP, the module lever position sensor. It could be. The way that we would diagnose it is while the problem's occurring is plug into the data link with a scanner and see if the scanner can see right park. it does it all the time chuck and it's constantly not coming on no he says it's intermittent it's absolutely random and it's uh-huh. coming off more than it's become it's off now more than it's on well that's good if it can be able to be duplicated in a shop it'd be pretty easy to find basically you plug a tech too and you can command that thing to read whatever you want so you can verify that the led is working you can physically turn those little lights on if they all come on then obviously the led portion of it is okay there's several other components there's like what to call a what is it, MLP sensor, the manual lever position sensor, which tells it where it's at. Then, of course, the wiring in between. So it's just going to be a matter of getting in there and finding which component it is. If it can be duplicated, it can be found pretty easy in a shop. Yeah. Well, that, that was kind of answering my major question because I really didn't think the light or the LED would be out. Nah, man, those things have an almost unlimited life. You figure 50,000 hours, geez, I mean, how long is that driving time? Yeah. You could be tired of driving that truck before that thing burns out. Yeah. Well, that's why I didn't want to go tearing into this to change the yeah. light bulb to find out the light bulb. No, there, there are very few dashes that have light bulbs of any kind in them anymore. Almost everything is LEDs now. Well, I appreciate the help. All righty. Thanks. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. You just give us a call. we got some squeaking belts, squeaking brakes. Squeaking transmissions. <laughs> <laughs> squeaking squeaks. Squeaking whatever. Squeaking seat. Yeah, you give us a call. And we got Jim on the line. Good morning, Jim. Hey, guys. Happy New Year. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Glad to hear you're still alive. Yeah, I'm <laughs> telling you. Live and kicking. <laughs> hey, I have a, a couple questions on 2000 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Okay. okay. Four-liter engine. Mm-hmm. On the transmission, I typically change out the fluid and the filter about every 20 to 20, 25,000 miles. Do I need to adjust any of the bands on there? Yes. Or do I need to bring it in? Well, one band adjustment is on the outside. Right. And you can do that anytime. You know, you can service yourself. Are you talking about you servicing yourself? Yes, sir. Okay. The rear band, probably the one that's going to be out. Okay. And there's all kinds of torques, and then you back it off a certain number of turns and this, that, and another. Right. But what you want to end up accomplishing is you want that servo to move one quarter inch. Okay. Okay. That's how much gap you want. Okay. To apply that band. So all we do is pull down on the lever, right. the band right. servo arm, and we want it to move one quarter inch. Okay. Okay. And better be pretty accurate with that. You don't want to end up burning up a transmission over that. No, I don't. And that's why I didn't know whether maybe every other time I need to bring it in the shop or maybe every time I need to bring it in the shop if I'm not adjusting the bands. You see, now, I wasn't going to do more than an <laughs> 
But keep your ears peeled because we're going to do a do-it-yourselfer guide to servicing your own transmission. Okay, great. Okay, and great. we'll use a transmission like yours, and we'll show you exactly how to adjust those bands. Oh, super. Just, and, just keep listening? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we'll announce okay. it later on. Is it? The second question I have on that same vehicle is that my left brake light seems to burn out a couple times a year. Yeah, that's a common problem, Jim. The socket is actually bad. It's not the, the light. And those little sockets are available through the Chrysler or Jeep dealer. They're pretty inexpensive and they're real easy to change. But they go bad all the time. The contacts get bad in them and it arcs and kind of screws up the bulbs. Okay. The socket itself comes off the right. wiring harness? Yes, yeah, sir. It, it, it's, it's not a socket per se. It plugs into a circuit board and it's a quarter turn deal. And then the bulb plugs in the little plastic deal. You just twist it comes out throw it away put another one push it it's actually a circuit board that it goes into it's not a socket in the conventional sense of the word you know where you got like a separate right. piece with wires and all that on it so it's like a little just go to the dealer and ask for one and okay. when you see it in your hand you'll understand uh, okay. you better not explain it just it goes into a circuit board and twists and then that locks it in and then the bulb goes into it. it's a little plug-in thing a rear brake light uh-huh okay. just tell you rear tail light socket it is. there we go <laughs> all right courtney good morning Good morning. I have an 89 Honda Accord, uh-huh. and like for the last month or so, the check engine light has been coming on, uh-huh. and like when I turn it off, turn the car off, the check engine light will go off. Yes, ma'am. But it seems like lately, for the last few, two or three days, like uh-huh. when I accelerate, it takes a little while like, yes, to ma'am. go to the other gear, and I was wondering, could that be one of the problems with the check engine light? Oh, absolutely. Light? More, In fact, more than likely, the problem with an 89 model, Courtney, is that it's a fairly rudimentary computer by today's standards. 96, they went to what they call OBD2. That's where it actually records a lot of data and everything. On an 89, basically all it did is it stored a code. When you turn a key off, it cleared the code. And so the light goes out, and then when it fails the test again, the light comes back on. The problem with check engine lights, if you ignore them, it's going to start becoming expensive exponentially, if you know what that word means. I didn't until I looked it up, but I mean, it becomes like a square root. You know, it goes from, from 2 to 4 to 16 to 64, da 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 like that. You cannot ignore those lights, even though it's human nature to do so, because you start out with a real minor problem. Let's say the oxygen sensor is reading out of range. Well, that's you know, it's bad enough, but it's not that bad. But if you keep driving, it burns up the catalytic converter. Well, now it's 10 times as much as the original problem. Then you keep driving it, and it burns up the motor. The check engine light is a warning. It's telling you, hey, something is wrong here. Even though the car continues to run, it's saying, hey, I can't manage this. A computer cannot manage the problem any longer. Anytime you got a check engine light, if you put it off, it's going to get way more expensive real fast. So you definitely need to get that in, get it checked, find out why that light is coming on. You know, The actual source of the original light may be very, very small. But like you mentioned, the transmission starts acting up afterwards. Well, that's because it's just going on and on and on and on, you see, and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse for you. Need to get that in, get checked, find out why that light's on. Now, what that means is take it to a professional that knows what he's doing and have that light checked. Don't go to one of these parts stores that has a code reader because that's not going to be any good at all. That's going to sell you a whole bunch of parts you don't need. Go to somebody competent that knows what they're doing, pay them their fee, let them check the thing, tell you what's wrong with it, and then they can advise you what things have to be fixed, what things don't have to be fixed. But, man, it's going to be way, way less expensive to address that early on than to put it off. Sure. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. we got to take a quick little break, but, Jim, you hang in there. You'll be straight up after the break. If you... 
ever planned to move west. Travel my way. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I really thought the world was going to end. So what did you do? You see, Mike, I quit work and streaked through the cafeteria. I maxed out my credit cards, my grass is waist high, and I can't find my dog. I think the lion I bought might have eaten him. And my car won't run. Hmm. Well, first, take your car into Agco Automotive so it'll get fixed right the first time. Then, take it in for regular maintenance to save money in the long run by keeping your car in good shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Well, Mike, there is one more thing. My neighbor DVRs C-SPAN, and I promised I'd spend Sunday afternoons watching it with him. Now... I wish the world really would end. Sorry, uh, can't help you there, buddy. Good morning and welcome back. If you just join us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Harvey Wilson. And if you do not get a chance to call in today, are you just shy about being on the radio? You can go to agcoauto.com, and there's a little section there called questions, or you can just push any one of those buttons that say contact. There's about a dozen of them. Those will get an email directly to me, and that way you can get all your questions answered. One other thing, too, that we added recently, we've got a little survey section on ours. You might want to go in there and play around. It's kind of fun. Several little surveys you can take, and we're fixing to add a little contest in there where you can actually go in and test your knowledge of the website. You can get a free T-shirt out of it if you get all the questions answered. It's something just kind of fun to do. Huh. But Agco Auto, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. That's right. That's kind of the sweet part of the Internet. Yeah. <laughs> Just jump all around that little rascal. Let's go to our phone line with Jim. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. I've got a 2001 Maxima. Okay. Passenger side brake light keeps burning out every two weeks. Okay. And I keep changing the bulb. It's a combination tail light, stop light. Uh-huh. And I'm putting the right bulb in, but I don't know why it keeps burning out just the passenger side. Jim, that is almost always going to be a socket issue, kind of like the last guy. What happens if the socket doesn't make good contact, the voltage is constantly, even though you don't see it, it's constantly going up and down, up and down, up and down that bulb. And it takes it about a week or two to burn that bulb out doing that. So what I would do in the shop, the way we would diagnose that, we've got a device we can plug into that socket called a min-max. And it will actually measure the maximum voltage and the minimum voltage over a period of time. And I can actually see it. Or I can plug a scope, a digital scope in there, and I can actually see the wave pattern of it doing even though you can't see it with the eye. Yeah. See, an incandescent bulb, basically the voltage is heating that filament to a glowing state. If you disconnect the voltage for two or three microseconds, it's going to continue to, to glow. You know, it doesn't get cold instantly. So your eye doesn't perceive that fluctuation, but the bulb knows it's there, and it just it tends to burn. That's the only thing I can think of that causes bulbs to burn out real frequently other than, you know, the wrong bulb being in there, of course, uh, one that's designed for less wattage or whatever. I've even seen cases where you can have a voltage regulator in the alternator bad, but that's going to knock all the bulbs out equally, not just one. Yeah. And you have other issues as well. So that would be my most lucky guess <laughs> that I could say. Without some kind of instrumentation, it would be kind of difficult to determine, but I mean, you could change that socket relatively easily, and that would probably be cheaper than even having me diagnose anything further. Now, if that did not cure the problem, then you could bring it to me, we could measure it out and make sure, you know, okay. something else isn't going on, but 
replacing a socket on that one's a little more difficult than in a Jeep. And a Jeep, you just turn it out and put a new one in. That one, I think you have to actually cut some wires and do some soldering. Okay. So if you don't feel comfortable doing it yourself, we can certainly do it for you at the shop. And if you do, that would be where I would start looking if you don't have instrumentation to actually measure what's going on. Okay. All righty. Good. Thank you. Very All right, much. sir. Thank you. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, I'd love to have you. Just give us a call. And we've got Stan on the line. Good morning, Stan. Good morning. Yes, I sir. have a 99 Nissan Pathfinder. Uh-huh. I have a brake light that comes on from now and then. Okay, which light is it, Stan? Is it the yellow one or the red one? A red one. Okay, and it just says brakes? just says brakes. Okay, does it normally come on like when you apply the brakes or when you turn a corner or when you're slowing down or that kind of stuff? I can't discern any particular pattern. Okay, it just kind of comes on every now and then? Um, Stays on a little, a little while and then goes back out? Yeah. Yeah. Check the fluid level on your master cylinder and see if it's low on brake fluid. Okay. That's the most common reason for that. See, it doesn't work like an on-off switch. It actually has a little module with a delay in it. So if temporarily, like, let's say it's close to the borderline and you hit a bump and it drops below the borderline, it's going to turn the light on, but it's not going to blink on and blink off. It's got a little module that actually controls it. It's going to keep it on for a period of time to make sure you notice it. And then if it no longer receives a signal, it's going to go off in time. And it may be 5 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever's programmed into that system. But almost always, that's going to be one of two things. Either it is low on brake fluid or the sensor itself is going bad and it's sending a false signal. So check the brake fluid level, and if it's not low, then the sensor is likely bad itself. Now, back up just a little bit. If it is low, there's a reason it's low, okay? Right. Vehicles don't just use brake fluid. When it gets low, there's a reason. Either you have a leak in the system or the pads and stuff are wearing out. As the pads wear out, it takes fluid in. That's what I was just thinking, and that's probably where it is because it's been a while, and I yeah. get a lot of brake dust just on my front it would be a good idea to get it in and let us check the brakes on it and just make sure because you don't want to eat a couple of rotors up and the brake light sensor is telling you, hey, the pads are low. But, see, it doesn't have a sensor to actually monitor the pads, but they got it kind of set up to where when the pads wear, it takes in enough fluid to where it fires that signal off. It's not really made to do that per se, but it will do that. You know, as, as the pads wear, the fluid level drops so the light starts coming on. Now, if you do decide you want to add fluid to it, Stan, let me give you a great big old tip here. Go down to a parts store somewhere and buy a brand new can of brake fluid. If you got all stuff, if you got two dozen cans on the shelf in your garage, throw them all away because I'm gonna tell you they are highly contaminated. Brake fluid will contaminate in a sealed can in about a year's time. Really? Absolutely. It's alcohol. It's going to suck moisture right out of the atmosphere. Don't buy the ones in the plastic bottles. Absolute trash. Most of those we test them right out of the bottle and they contain two or three percent moisture. You want a metal can with the metal plug in the end of the can. Right. Fill your thing up, throw the rest away, or you can't throw it away, have it disposed of. Don't try to keep brake fluid. A can of brake fluid, the most expensive one on the market is about two or three bucks. You got a little unit in there called an ABS control module. On that particular vehicle, it's about $2,000. You dump some contaminated fluid in there, and you're going to find out about oh, <laughs> how expensive some, it was. Yeah, how expensive it really is. So you definitely do not go in your garage and get rid of any old cans of brake fluid you got around. Okay. That's okay. not even good for an old car. Not even an old car. Yeah, don't ever put any old. At the shop, we go through gallons and gallons and gallons of brake fluid. We still buy it in quart cans. The reason being, one quart does one car. And we don't even keep it over the weekend. If I'm doing one job and then another job, I might use it. But if that can sits overnight, it's getting disposed of. We do not reuse it in the car because it's so... And I wish I could say the word. I think it's hygroscopic. 
is the property of alcohol to suck moisture out of the atmosphere. And, of course, you know what the humidity around here is like. So once that can is open, that fluid is is history. Is there high humidity? I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All righty. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. And we've got Bill's been patiently holding. Good morning, Bill. Yes, good morning, Louis. Yes, sir. A question on an older car. Okay. Earlier, you used the, you used the word rudimentary. There you go. Word. Okay. How does, if the gas cap is good and you're told you failed the emission, you get an orange sticker. 88 model? Yeah, you actually, you worked on it when you were in, over on Wooddale. <laughs> yeah, Foster? Jeez. <laughs> well, you keep cars a long time, don't you, Bill? <laughs> no, I donated it to my son and daughter-in-law. There you go. Condition, they bring it back for free maintenance, and they never did. There you go. Bill, they... they even know it fails? I mean... <laughs> well... It, for that car to fail, it's got to physically have some components missing from the emission system. They look under the car. If the catalytic converter's not there, it's going to fail. Or I don't if the, believe he removed. I know what you're talking about. But that's the only thing they're going to test because it doesn't have any kind of computerized testing, and I don't think they do a tailpipe emissions test any longer. Now, it could fail for a number of other reasons, of course. You know, the lights don't work, the horns don't work. It failed for emissions. If it failed for emissions, it's probably got some components missing off the car. It had something to do with the gas cap? Because I think they test that on all the no, cars. they said the gas cap was not the reason. Right. Tell me the reason. <laughs> Physically, something is missing off the car. Oh, really? Yes, sir. The pump may be disconnected on it. Uh, it may have some wires or hoses hanging loose under the hood. Huh. Catalytic converter may be cut off of it. Now, you're right. talking in Louisiana. The car's still in Louisiana? Yeah, Denim Springs. Okay. Yeah. Excuse me, right. You got a component that's fi- you know, that they can obviously see is missing. Because they do not do emission tailpipe. No. 96 up on, on tailpipe yeah. emission. Well, that's actually on OBD2 where they do the computer yeah. test on it. But he's got to tell you why it failed. Uh, he can't just say it fails. He's got to give you a reason. So I would call the inspection guy back and, and ask him why it failed. And that's not privileged information. He's got to tell you why he failed the car. You're right. And all you got to do is address that particular problem. And like I said, my guess would be that either the air injection pump's been disconnected or disabled, or it's got some vacuum lines or wires disconnected under the hood, or the catalytic converter's been taken off. I didn't think they did had the time to do that careful an inspection. They are supposed to. I mean, if they raise the hood and they see the thermistor right there on the front and two hoses aren't on it, they're going to fail the car. Right. And that's the law, you know, they're supposed to. And admittedly, not all of them check as well as they should every time, but they are supposed to do a visual inspection of it. Now, there's a 30-day period on that, just going back and getting that one thing reinspected. Right. After 30 days, you're going to have to get the whole car reinspected. After 30 days, what? You're going to have to go through the entire inspection again. Right. And if it failed and he says it's because of this, if you get that fixed and go back in 30 days, they will just inspect that one thing and say, okay, now it passes. If you wait beyond 30 days, you have to do a total inspection again. Oh, gotcha. Okay. All right. You helped solve a family discussion. (laughs) All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. You just give us a call. And we got Floyd on the line. Good morning, Floyd. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a 95 Pontiac Grand Am, uh-huh. and I'm trying to figure out if the fan for the radiator is good or bad. Okay. How do I do that? Is it supposed to run as soon as I kick the car off? Or? No, it's got all kinds of little strategies about how it runs. Technically, Floyd, the only way to test that properly is if you've got a scan tool, you can go in and physically command it on, and it'll come on and like that. Other than that, you can sit there and watch it. I can tell you a couple of the things. It's got one fan or two. One. One fan. Turn the air conditioner on, and it should come on instantly. Oh, okay. 
because the air conditioner overrides the other system. The other system is a combination of engine temperature and, and several other factors, and some of those have to get up to almost 230 degrees before that fan comes on. I mean, they got to get real hot for it commands the fan on. But turn the AC on, and it should come on instantly because it will override with the air conditioner. Okay. If it does not come on with the AC on, and then the next step is to check voltage at the fan. If you got voltage at the fan and it still doesn't come on and you got ground at the fan, likely the motor itself is bad. Okay. Uh, if you don't have voltage and ground and you got to start checking back, you know, and there's a relay and there's a module and there's a sensor and yeah, 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 you know. Well, thank you very much. All righty. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Four nine 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 five two six number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would certainly love to have you. We got to take one more quick little break. Danny, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan. dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December twenty first, twenty twelve. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I'm up the creek. So, what did you do? I maxed out all my credit cards, sold my stocks, my house, and my boat so I could travel the world before the world ended. Kept my 85 Mustang, though. Well, one thing I can recommend is to take your car in for regular maintenance at Agco Automotive. By taking care of your car, you'll save money in the long run by not having to pay for huge repairs. And with the money you save, you can pay down some of that debt. If you want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's one other big problem. I sold all my vital organs on a website in Uzbekistan, and now someone named Aziz keeps showing up on my caller ID. Well, hmm. Lay low, brother. Lay low. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Harvey Wilson. Hey, if you have an automotive problem, question, or comment, you just give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out. Of course, if you don't get a chance to get through during the show, you can go to Agco Auto, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O, and you can either go to questions and enter a question there, or you can just hit contact, which is a little contact button on almost every page, and get an email over to me. We always love getting... We were talking at breakfast this morning about that, and you know, more and more, you can't just walk in and talk to people, or you can't really get them on the phone that much, but almost everybody, even the busiest executives, don't mind getting emails that much, because they can kind of you know, answer them when they have time. When they have time. It's, it's not that they're rude or that they don't want to help you. It's just that most people, I know myself, I'm the only service writer there, and man, there are times when I've got just way more than I can get done, and somebody will drop in or whatever, want to chat. I just don't have time to do it. If they would just send me an email, I can sit there in the afternoon after I get off, eat dinner, and then I'd sit there and answer my emails, and certainly don't mind doing that at all. And that is the way to get the information that you need. So please don't just drop in and expect us to stop. I mean, we're nice guys and all that, and we love to help people, but we just can't do it. That's why we do this radio show, and we offer a website where you can get that information. One other thing I want to just mention, like on our site, we've got the little survey section. I've got an address that I need to do to a pretty large group of shop owners, and I've put a little thing there about what you think about certain topics in the automotive industry. I don't know if you've seen that yet. It's it's Give Lewis a Hand survey. I really wish a lot of people would go in and give me their honest opinion on that, what they feel about certain practices in the automotive industry, because I'm going to use this information in my address, and I've got my own thoughts about what, but uh, if I could actually get input from people who are buying auto repair, I think it would have a much bigger impact on these guys. And like I said, I want to take this information, and I'm going to use it to address 
several thousand shop owners. So this is your chance if you've got something that really irks you about the automotive business or something that you don't feel is the way it should be. Go in there and you'll see, click on surveys and there's one on maintenance and there's one on give Lewis a hand or help Lewis out with this. And then just give it your true answers, whatever you feel. And uh, I'm going to use that information in that fashion. So I wish everybody would do that if they would. And let's see, we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Danny's been patiently holding. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. How you doing? Doing wonderful. Lewis, I've got basically a transmission question yes, for Harvey. Uh-huh. I've got a 2001 Aztec, mm-hmm. and this, I'm about ready to make uh, put on the second set of brakes, okay. and I'm having this done at my dealership. Mm-hmm. When I called to make the appointment, the lady asked me how many miles I had on it, and I mm-hmm. told her 95,000. And she asked me if I'd had the transmission service yet, mm-hmm. and I said no. And just trying to make up my mind whether I need to do this or not, I kind of, you know, always had the feeling that if it ain't broke, don't. (laughs) That's really not a viable point on this, Danny. Let me give you my opinion, and I'm going to let Harvey give you the professional opinion. Maintenance is something you do that is fairly inexpensive to avoid something that is very expensive. For instance, you could say that, well, my fuel filter's not broke, so I'm going to keep on driving the car like it is. Well, what happens as it restricts, it ends up burning up the fuel pump. So we take a $40 item like a fuel filter, and we turn it into a $900 item like a fuel pump. Exactly the same thing on your transmission service. It's not broke, true, uh, you know, and the same can be said about your engine oil. You know, it's not broke either, but you change it to prevent something else from breaking. My thoughts would be on that, Danny, is who you want to have do that. You might want to ask and see if they are going to physically drop the pan, change the filter, and change the fluid, or do what they call flushing the transmission, which is very common nowadays. Flushing is a definite no-no. You're better off probably not to do anything at all than to do that. And I'm, At that, I'm going to turn it over to Harvey because he's the expert on it. I'd stole all your thunder. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. If I remember the conversation. You need to know anything about flowers? Because <laughs> we're done with transmission. There you go. I, I, know you, I know you can run on for another half hour on the flushing issue itself. I, I'll just ask them if they're going to flush it. If they say well, yes, you're better off not doing that and not doing anything than you are to flush it. Right. Okay, well, but, that's what I think they mentioned was flushing it. Okay. That's a Don't real profitable it. issue for the dealership. They make a lot of money flushing transmissions. It's simple, it's fast, it's a lot of money made on it. But what should he actually do on that, Harvey? They, just like you... Just, just like, like I told just I look, like we just like I let all the cat out of the bag. Huh? <laughs> you know, you want him to drop the pan, you want him to replace the filter. And, of course, you okay. could do that for him if he needs yeah. someone else to do it. Well, yeah. yeah, now, Harvey's done my transmission work in the past. In fact, he saved me lots of money one time by replacing some little small part in a Blazer, 2001 mm-hmm. Blazer, I mean, a 1995 Blazer, and whereas the old transmission would have cost several thousand. Right, you know, and, right. Uh, he, wanted, he said, I can try this first, see if it works, and it sure did. Yeah. Oh, good. So I'll do that then. I, I'll just have it so that we can drop the pan and change the filter and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That right. flushing procedure, that you see, the fluid's going to go in the same direction, so it's not going to do a thing for that filter, other than whatever it picks up is going to put in that filter. Uh-huh. Now, if it should push something through the filter, you're pushing debris or whatever into what you're trying to protect with the filter. You know, let's I say see. the pump. You're trying to protect it, so you don't want to be pushing, which is what they'll kind of indicate that's that's happening they're going to say it's going to go through the whole system and go into their machine the only way it can get out of the system into their machine is to go through your filter and go through your transmission Uh, Mm -hmm. the reason they push that transmission flush as opposed to a proper service oh profit the most profitable thing you can do on a car oh okay 
the mo right. and it sounds good. It, it really, sounds good really to the customer, like and the shop idea. makes a lot of money on it. Shop yeah. makes a lot of money, but and you'll find the, the best shops are not going to use that. Any bubblehead right. can do it. There you go. So, to use Lewis's term, <laughs> <laughs> so they don't have okay. to pay a, a high price tech to do it. So it's okay. just really hated to see that come around. Okay, well, I'll, what I'll do is I'll let him go ahead and do the brakes, and then I'll give you a call, Harvey, and we'll set up an appointment. Okay. All right. Thanks, All Danny. Right. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right, All right we've got to take one more quick little break. Jim, Lynn, hang on. Y'all be straight up after the break. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. We have an anonymous caller here from the D.C. area. You're on the air. Oh, uh, yes, Mike. I have some serious debt issues. Okay. Let's say I'm in charge of this really big company, and we have this deficit. You know, I thought with the world ending, we'd be okay, but that didn't happen, and I need some cash. I maxed out all my credit cards, but that barely made a dent. Well, sounds like you need to be on a strict budget. And the first thing I tell you is to make sure you're not wasting money on big-time car repairs. Regular preventative maintenance with Agco Automotive is the key to saving money in the long run and a good way to pay off debt. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Any other advice? You should look into selling your house and downsizing. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Harvey Wilson. Hey, if you have an automotive problem, question, or comment, you just give us a call. And if you don't get a chance to get your call answered today, you can log on to Agco Auto, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Well, we're running real short on time, so we're going to get as many of these calls answered as we can. We've got Jim online. Good morning, Jim. Okay. i got a 99 F-150, okay. and it's got 96,000 miles. Okay. And I've never done anything to the transmission, uh-huh. and I've just noticed the last couple of weeks or so when I'm going, it'll feels like it's almost shifting down or yeah. plug is shifting out. Is so, it like a shutter? Yeah, like you're exactly. running over those little bumps in the road? Exactly. Okay. Proper service will usually will take care of that. That's okay. definitely what I do first. Very few of them do not get corrected by that. Okay. So... Bring it in. First thing we'll do, because an engine miss is going to feel very similar. First thing we always do is test drive them. If it's in the trans, I can tell you right then. And then we can service it, and that problem should go away. Almost always will. And if it's in the engine, I can tell you that. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. where, well, I know where Echo is, but where are you located? Right. Well, then you know where, where he's at then. <laughs> Same building. Same building. Same we building. just added on a little space at the end, and he's right down there. In fact, I had four more bays down there for him and his cohorts. All in the same building. Well, guys, I'll see y'all Monday or Tuesday. Right. I, can answer, I can answer your flower company, uh, your flower problems. Oh, okay, there you good. go. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thanks, Thanks Jim. Bye bye. All right, we got Lynn online. Good morning, Lynn. Hey, good morning. Yes, I really sir. appreciate y'all taking. Well, questions. thank you. I, tell you, yes, I don't sir. know anything about transmission. So, number one, I'm highly skeptical okay. about driving my car into a transmission. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Particularly after all the things you say people do. Uh huh. But here's the deal. Uh, reassure me. I've got a '95. Ford Explorer, about 125,000 miles on it. It's a sport, and it's four-wheel drive. Uh, it's my son's car. And on the highway, and this is the only time I've noticed it, on the highway, once you get up to about 60 miles per hour and ease off on the gas into uh, just a good cruising speed, 
Uh, it'll start uh, kind of a low roaring noise. Uh, sounds to me like it's coming out of the rear of the car. Okay. And there's no indication that it's trying to shift or anything. But as long as you're cruising, you hear that roaring. Now, if you hit the gas and go into overdrive, it goes away. Um, well, at 60, you I, better I, have been in overdrive already. Yeah, it's already in no, overdrive. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. You passing, mean passing, passing gear? gear? Yeah. I'm sorry, passing gear. Okay. Uh-huh. Do this. Well, you got a different load on the rear end, but do this. Leave it in third gear rather than overdrive. Just right. shift down. down one more and drive it. That noise may come in at a different speed, but see if that same noise comes in. Okay. Okay, if it does, it is not the transmission. Okay. Everything what in that it? transmission is turning as a... Yeah, rear differential would be my guess if it's not the transmission. And it doesn't necessarily mean the entire differential is bad. It could be something as simple as an axle bearing. But then again, it could be, you know, something like the pinion bearings or the carrier bearings. Like Harvey said, generally you're going to hear it like when you're cruising or when you're yeah. lightly accelerating. When you let off, it kind of goes away. Right. Because what happens, it relieves... Passing gear. It right. It relieves... It, well, in passing gear, the, the engine's making so much noise, you probably can't hear it. Okay. Uh, Plus, you've changed the load on the different... Right, exactly. Either way, you could bring it in the shop, and Harvey can diagnose transmission if it's, if it's differential. You know, either he can do it or I can do it. You know, between us, we can fix it regardless. Okay, so based on that little simple description, then, it's not a, a it's not going to be a big mystery. It's not going to uh, be hard no. to diagnose, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. No, I, I'm leaning more towards the differential being the problem, but exhaust laying on the frame or yeah, a lot of other little things can cause that same kind of a noise. mount collapsed or anything like that. Can well, you? we did find exhaust vibration, and mm-hmm. uh, we went back to that rear hanger, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of bent the hanger a little bit to mm-hmm. pull the pipe away from the plastic. But that leads me to a, a second really quick question. That is, my son's worked on this car. He dropped the whole exhaust off. Uh-huh. To do it, he cut like the last 12 inches off the pipe. Mm-hmm. How critical is it to put that last 12 inches back on the pipe? My opinion is pretty critical. You don't want, they got that pipe to get the exhaust out from underneath. Right. And the, you don't want it being inducted up into the back of that Explorer. The The issue there is that when the engineer designs that car, he calculates all the road draft and all, and he puts it to a length where it will carry the fumes from under the car. Okay. If you shorten it, the fumes can build up under the car. And not only do you, of course, have a carbon monoxide hazard, but you're also going to corrode and rust that floor out real, real quick. Even if you don't do any more than go to a muffler shop, have them make you a little extension, you know, with a swedged in, don't we can slip it over in a pipe. You need to get it back out to the original length. Well, I'll do that road test today, mm-hmm. put it in third and see, and then we'll jump on that exhaust. So I thank y'all so much. Well, thank you, sir. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Lynn. All right, I tell you what, I think we are just totally out of time today. Well, I see we got just about enough time, and we got a request to give out our website addresses one more time. And, of course, the AGCO website is A-G-C-O. Auto, A-U-T-O, all one word, agcoauto.com. And you can either go, just the word contact appears on every single page. You hit that, it'll bring up an email. Or you can go to the questions section, and you might want to search that because there's questions in there now, and you can do a little search, and your question may have already been answered. So uh, if so, you can do a search, find it. If not, then you can always issue another question. We'll be glad to get you an answer on it. Hey, you want to tell you how much we appreciate you listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Hey, have a great weekend.